Letter twenty four of Clarissa Harlowe, or the History of a Young Lady, Volume five. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nicole Lee. Clarissa Harlowe, or the History of a Young Lady, Volume five, by Samuel Richardson. Letter twenty four. Mr. Lovelace to John Belford, Esquire, Hampstead, Friday night, June ninth. Now, Belford, for the narrative of narratives, I will continue it as I have opportunity and that so dexterously that, if I break off twenty times, thou shalt not discern where I piece my thread. Although grievously afflicted with the gout, I alighted out of my chariot, leaning very hard on my cane with one hand, and on my new servant's shoulder with the other, the same instant almost that he had knocked at the door, that I might be sure of admission into the house. I took care to button my great-coat about me, and to cover with it even the pummel of my sword, it being a little too gay for my ears. I knew not what occasion I might have for my sword, I stooped forward, blinked with my eyes to conceal their lustre, no vanity in saying that, Jack, my chin wrapped up for the toothache, my slouched, laced hat, and so much of my wig as was visible giving me altogether the appearance of an antiquated bow. My wife, I resolved beforehand, should have a complication of disorders. The maid came to the door, I asked for her mistress, she showed me into one of the parlours, and I sat down with a gouty, oh, enter Goody Moore. Your servant, madam, but you must excuse me, I cannot well stand. I find by the bill at the door that you have lodgings to let. Mumbling my words, as if like my man will, I had lost some of my four-teeth. Be pleased to inform me what they are, for I like your situation, and I will tell you my family. I have a wife, a good old woman, older than myself, by the way, a pretty deal. She is in a bad state of health, and is advised into the Hampstead air. She will have two maid-servants and a footman. The coach or chariot, I shall not have them put up both together, we can put up anywhere, and the coachman will be with his horses. When, sir, shall you want to come in? I will take them from this very day, and, if convenient, will bring my wife in the afternoon. Perhaps, sir, you would board as well as lodge? That as you please. It will save me the trouble of bringing my cook, if we do, and I suppose you have servants who know how to dress a couple of dishes. My wife must eat plain food, and I don't love kickshaws. We have a single lady who will be gone in two or three days. She has one of the best apartments— that will then be at liberty. You have one or two good ones meantime, I presume, madam, just to receive my wife, for we have lost time, these damned physicians. Excuse me, madam, I am not used to curse, but it is owing to the love I have for my wife. They have kept her in hand till they are ashamed to take more fees, and now advise her to the air. I wish we had sent her hither at first, but we must now make the best of it. Excuse me, madam, for she looked hard at me, that I am muffled up in this warm weather. I am but too sensible that I have left my chamber sooner than I ought, and perhaps shall have a return of my gout for it. I came out thus muffled up with a dreadful pain in my jaws, an ache in them, I believe, but my poor dear will not be satisfied with anybody's care but mine, and as I told thee, we have lost time. You shall see what accommodations I have, if you please, sir, but I doubt you are too lame to walk upstairs. I can make shift to hobble up now I have rested a little. I'll just look upon the apartment my wife is to have. Anything may do for the servants, and as you seem to be a good sort of gentlewoman, I shan't stand for a price, and will pay well besides for the trouble I shall give. She led the way, and I, helping myself by the banisters, made shift to get up with less fatigue than I expected from ankles so weak. But, oh, Jack, what was Sixtus the Fifth's artful depression of his natural powers to mine when, as his half-dead Montalto, he gaped for the pretendedly unsought pontificate, and the moment he was chosen leapt upon the prancing beast, which it was thought by the amazed conclave he was not able to mount, without help of chairs and men. Never was there a more joyful heart and lighter heels than mine joined together, yet both denied their functions, 
the one fluttering in secret, ready to burst its bars for reliefful expression, the others obliged to an hobbling motion, when unrestrained they would, in their master's imagination, have mounted him to the lunar world without the help of a ladder. There were three rooms on a floor, two of them handsome, and a third, she said, still handsomer, but the lady was in it. I saw, I saw she was, for as I hobbled up, crying out upon my weak ankles, in the hoarse mumbling voice I had assumed, I beheld a little piece of her she just cast an eye, with the door ajar, as they call it, to observe who was coming up, and seeing such an old clumsy fellow, great-coated in weather so warm, slouched and muffled up, she withdrew, shutting the door without any emotion. But it was not so with me, for thou canst not imagine how my heart danced to my mouth at the very glimpse of her, so that I was afraid the thump-thump-thumping villain, which had so lately thumped as much to no purpose, would have choked me. I liked the lodging well, and the more she said the third room was still handsomer. I must sit down, madam, and chose the darkest part of the room. Won't you take a seat yourself? No price shall part us, but I will leave the terms to you and my wife, if you please, and also whether for board or not. Only please to take this for earnest, putting a guinea into her hand. And one thing I will say, my poor wife loves money, but is not an ill-natured woman. She was a great fortune to me, but, as the real estate goes away at her death, I would fain preserve her for that reason, as well as for the love I bear her as an honest man. But if she makes too close a bargain with you, tell me, and unknown to her, I will make it up. This is my constant way. She loves to have her penneth, and I would not have her vexed or made uneasy on any account. She said I was a very considerate gentleman, and upon the condition I had mentioned she was content to leave the terms to my lady. But, madam, cannot a body just peep into the other apartment, that I may be more particular to my wife in the furniture of it? The lady desires to be private, sir, but— and was going to ask her leave. I caught hold of her arm. However, stay, stay, madam, it mayn't be proper, if the lady loves to be private. Don't let me intrude upon the lady. No intrusion, sir, I dare say, the lady is good-humoured. She will be so kind as to step down into the parlour, I dare say. As she stays so little a while, I am sure she will not wish to stand in my way. No, madam, that's true, if she be good-humoured, as you say. Has she been with you long, madam? She came but yesterday, sir. I believe I just now saw the glimpse of her. She seems to be an elderly lady. No, sir, you're mistaken. She's a young lady, and one of the handsomest I ever saw. God, so I beg her pardon. Not but that I should have liked her the better, were she to stay longer, if she had been elderly. I have a strange taste, madam, you'll say, but I really, for my wife's sake, love every elderly woman. Indeed, I ever thought age was to be reverenced, which made me, taking the fortune into the scale too that I own, make my addresses to my present dear. Very good of you, sir, to respect age. We all hope to live to be old. Right, madam. But you say the lady is beautiful. Now you must know that though I choose to converse with the elderly, yet I love to see a beautiful young woman, just as I love to see fine flowers in a garden. There's no casting an eye upon her, is there, without her notice? For in this dress, and thus muffled up about my jaws, I should not care to be seen any more than she, let her love privacy as much as she will. I will go and ask if I may show a gentleman the apartment, sir, and, as you are a married gentleman, and not over young, she'll perhaps make the less scruple. Then, like me, she loves elderly folks best, perhaps, but it may be she has suffered by young ones. I fancy she has, sir, or is afraid she shall. She desired to be very private, and if by description inquired after, to be denied. Thou art a true woman, Goody Moore, thought I. Good lack, good lack, what may be her story, then, I pray? She is pretty reserved in her story, but to tell you my thoughts, I believe love is in the case. She is always in tears, and does not much care for company. Nay, madam, it becomes not me to dive into ladies' secrets. I want not to pry into other people's affairs. But pray, how does she employ herself? Yet she came but yesterday, so you can't tell. Writing continually, sir. These women, Jack, when you ask some questions by way of information, don't care to be ignorant of anything. 
nay excuse me madam i am very far from being an inquisitive man but if her case be difficult and not merely love as she is a friend of yours i would give her my advice then you are lawyer sir why indeed madam i was some time at the bar but i have long left practice yet am much consulted by my friends in difficult points in a pauper case i frequently give money but never take any from the richest you are a very good gentleman then sir ay madam we cannot live always here and we ought to do what good we can but i hate to appear officious if the lady stay any time and think fit upon better acquaintance to let me into her case it may be a happy day for her if i find it a just one for you must know that when i was at the bar i never was such a sad fellow as to undertake for the sake of a paltry fee to make white black and black white for what would that have been but to endeavour to establish iniquity by quirks while i robbed the innocent you are an excellent gentleman sir i wish and then she sighed i had had the happiness to know there was such a lawyer in the world and to have been acquainted with him come come mrs moore i think your name is it may not be too late when you and i are better acquainted i may help you perhaps but mention nothing of this to the lady for as i said i hate to appear officious this prohibition i knew if goody moore answered the specimen she had given of her womanhood would make her take the first opportunity to tell were it to be necessary to my purpose that she should i appeared upon the whole so indifferent about seeing the room or the lady that the good woman was the more eager i should see both and the rather as i to stimulate her declared that there was more required in my eye to merit the character of a handsome woman than most people thought necessary and that i had never seen six truly lovely women in my life to be brief she went in and after a little while came out again the lady sir is retired to her closet so you may go in and look at the room then how my heart began again to play its pug's tricks i hobbled in and stumped about and liked it very much and was sure my wife would i begged excuse for sitting down and asked who was the minister of the place if he were a good preacher who preached at the chapel and if he were a good preacher and a good liver too madam i must inquire after that for i love but i must needs say that the clergy should practise what they preach very right sir but that is not so often the case as were to be wished more's the pity madam but i have a great veneration for the clergy in general it is more a satire upon human nature than upon the cloth if we suppose those who have the best opportunities to do good less perfect than other people for my part i don't love professional any more than national reflections but i keep the lady in her closet my gout makes me rude then up from my seat stumped i what do you call these window curtains madam stuffed damask sir it looks mighty well truly i like it better than silk it is warmer to be sure and much fitter for lodgings in the country especially for people in years the bed is in a pretty state it is neat and clean sir that's all we pretend to ay mighty well very well a silk hamlet i think very well truly i am sure my wife will like it but we would not turn the lady out of her lodgings for the world the other two apartments will do for us at present then stumping towards the closet over the door of which hung a picture what picture is that oh i see a saint cecilia a common print sir pretty well pretty well it is after an italian master i would not for the world turn the lady out of her apartment we can make shift with the other two repeated i louder still but yet mumblingly hoarse for i had as great regard to uniformity in accent as to my words oh belford to be so near my angel i think what a painful constraint i was under i was resolved to fetch her out if possible and pretending to be going you can't agree as to any time mrs moore when we can have this third room can you not that whispered i loud enough to be heard in the next room not that i would incommode the lady but i would tell my wife when abouts and women you know mrs moore love to have everything before them of this nature mrs moore said my charmer and never did her voice sound so harmonious to me oh how my heart bounded again 
it even talked to me in a manner for i thought i heard as well as felt its unruly flutters and every vein about me seemed a pulse mrs moore you may acquaint the gentleman that i shall stay here only for two or three days at most till i receive an answer to a letter i have written into the country and rather than be your hindrance i will take up with any apartment a pair of stairs higher not for the world not for the world young lady cried i my wife as i love her should lie in a garret rather than put such a considerate young lady as you seem to be to the least inconveniency she opened not the door yet and i said but since you have so much goodness madam if i could but just look into the closet as i stand i could tell my wife whether it is large enough to hold a cabinet she much values and will have with her wherever she goes then my charmer opened the door and blazed upon me as it were in a flood of light like what one might imagine would strike a man who born blind had by some propitious power been blessed with his sight all at once in a meridian sun upon my soul i never was so strangely affected before i had much ado to forbear discovering myself that instant but hesitatingly and in great disorder i said looking into the closet and around it there is room i see for my wife's cabinet and it has many jewels in it of high price but upon my soul for i could not forbear swearing like a puppy habit is a cursed thing jack nothing so valuable as a lady i see can be brought into it she started and looked at me with terror the truth of the compliment as far as i know had taken dissimulation from my accent i saw it was impossible to conceal myself longer from her any more than from the violent impulses of my passion to forbear manifesting myself i unbuttoned therefore my cape i pulled off my flapped slouched hat i threw open my greatcoat and like the devil in milton an odd comparison though i started up in my own form divine touched by the beam of her celestial eye more potent than ethereal sphere now belford for similitude now for a likeness to illustrate the surprising scene and the effect it had upon my charmer and the gentlewoman but nothing was like it or equal to it the plain fact can only describe it and set it off thus then take it she no sooner saw who it was than she gave three violent screams and before i could catch her in my arms as i was about to do the moment i discovered myself down she sunk at my feet in a fit which made me curse my indiscretion for so suddenly and with so much emotion revealing myself the gentlewoman seeing so strange an alteration in my person and features and voice and dress cried out murder help murder help by turns for half a dozen times running this alarmed the house and up ran two servant-maids and my servant after them i cried out for water and hartshorn and every one flew a different way one of the maids as fast down as she came up while the gentlewoman ran out of one room into another and by turns up and down the apartment we were in without meaning or end wringing her foolish hands and not knowing what she did up then came running a gentleman and his sister fetched and brought in by the maid who had run down and having let in a cursed crabbed old wretch hobbling with his gout and mumbling with his hoarse broken-toothed voice who was metamorphosed all at once into a lively gay young fellow with a clear accent and all his teeth she would have it that i was neither more nor less than the devil and could not keep her eye from my foot expecting no doubt every minute to see it discover itself to be cloven for my part i was so intent upon restoring my angel that i regarded nobody else and at last she slowly recovering motion with bitter sighs and sobs only the whites of her eyes however appearing for some moments i called upon her in the tenderest accent as i kneeled by her my arm supporting her head my angel my charmer my clarissa look upon me my dearest life i am not angry with you i will forgive you my best beloved the gentleman and his sister knew not what to make of all this and the less when my fair one recovering her sight snatched another look at me and then again groaned and fainted away i threw up the closet sash for air and then left her to the care of the young gentlewoman the same notable miss rawlins who i had heard of at the flask and to that of mrs moore who by this time had recovered herself and then retiring to one corner of the room i made my servant pull off my gouty stockings brush my hat and loop it up into the usual smart cock 
i then stepped to the closet to mr rawlins whom in the general confusion i had not much minded before sir said i you have an uncommon scene before you the lady is my wife and no gentleman's presence is necessary here but my own i beg pardon sir if the lady be your wife i have no business here but sir by her concern at seeing you pray sir none of your ifs and buts i beseech you nor your concern about the lady's concern you are a very unqualified judge in this cause and i beg of you sir to oblige me with your absence the women only are proper to be present on this occasion added i and i think myself obliged to them for their care and kind assistance tis well he made not another word for i found my collar begin to rise i could not bear that the finest neck and arms and foot in the world should be exposed to the eyes of any man living but mine i withdrew once more from the closet finding her beginning to recover lest the sight of me too soon should throw her back again the first words she said looking round her with great emotion were oh hide me hide me is he gone oh hide me is he gone sir said miss rawlins coming to me with an air both peremptory and assured this is some surprising case the lady cannot bear the sight of you what you have done is best known to yourself but another such fit will probably be her last it would be but kind therefore for you to retire it behoved me to have so notable a person of my party and the rather as i had disobliged her impertinent brother the dear creature said i may well be concerned to see me if you madam had a husband who loved you as i love her you would not i am confident fly from him and expose yourself to hazards as she does whenever she has not all her way and yet with a mind not capable of intentional evil but mother spoiled this is her fault and all her fault and the more inexcusable it is as i am the man of her choice and have reason to think she loves me above all the men in the world here jack was a story to support to the lady face to face too and here belford lest thou through inattention should be surprised at my assurance let me remind thee and that thus by way of marginal observation that i may not break in upon my narrative that this my intrepidity concerted as i from time to time acquainted thee in apprehension of such an event as has fallen out for had not the dear creature already passed for my wife before no less than four worthy gentlemen of family and fortune and before mrs sinclair and her household and miss partington and had she not agreed to her uncle's expedient that she should pass for such from the time of mr hickman's application to that uncle and that the worthy captain tomlinson should be allowed to propagate that belief as he had actually reported to two families they possibly to more purposely that it might come to the ears of james harlowe and serve for a foundation for uncle john to build his reconciliation scheme upon and canst thou think that nothing was meant by all this contrivance and that i am not still further prepared to support my story indeed i little thought at the time that i formed these precautionary schemes that she would ever have been able if willing to get out of my hands all that i hoped i should have occasion to have recourse to them for was only in case i should have the courage to make the grand attempt and should succeed in it to bring the dear creature and this out of tenderness to her for what attention did i ever yet pay to the grief the execrations the tears of a woman i had triumphed over to bear me in her sight to expostulate with me to be pacified by my pleas and by my own future hopes founded upon the reconciliatory project upon my reiterated vows and upon the captain's assurances since in that case to forgive me to have gone on with me for a week would have been to forgive me to have gone on with me for ever and that had my eligible life of honour taken place her trials would all have been then over and she would have known nothing but gratitude love and joy to the end of one of our lives for never would i never could i have abandoned such an admirable creature as this thou knowest i never was a sordid villain to any of her inferiors her inferiors i may say for who is not her inferior you speak like a gentleman you look like a gentleman said miss rawlins but sir this is a strange case the lady seems to dread the sight of you no wonder madam taking her a little on one side nearer to mrs moore i have three times already forgiven the dear creature but this is jealousy there is a spice of that in it and of frenzy too whispered i that it might have the face of a secret and of consequence the more engaged their attention but our story is too long 
I then made a motion to go to my beloved, but they desired that I would walk into the next room, and they would endeavour to prevail upon her to lie down. I begged that they would not suffer her to talk, for that she was accustomed to fits, and when in this way would talk of anything that came uppermost, and the more she was suffered to run on, the worse she was, and if not kept quiet, would fall into ravings, which might possibly hold her a week. They promised to keep her quiet, and I withdrew into the next room, ordering every one down but Mrs. Moore and Miss Rawlins. She was full of exclamations. Unhappy creature, miserable, ruined, and undone, she called herself, wrung her hands, and begged they would assist her to escape from the terrible evil she should otherwise be made to suffer. They preached patience and quietness to her, and would have had her to lie down, but she refused, sinking, however, into an easy chair, for she trembled so she could not stand. By this time I hoped that she was enough recovered to bear a presence that it behoved me to make her bear, and fearing she would throw out something in her exclamations that would still more disconcert me, I went into the room again. "'Oh, there he is,' said she, and threw her apron over her face. "'I cannot see him. I cannot look upon him. Begone, begone, touch me not!' For I took her struggling hand, beseeching her to be pacified, and assuring her that I would make all up with her upon her own terms and wishes. "'Base man,' said the violent lady, "'I have no wishes but never to behold you more. Why must I be thus pursued and haunted? Have you not made me miserable enough already, despoiled of all succour and help, and of every friend? I am contented to be poor, low, and miserable.' so i may live free from your persecutions miss rawlins stared at me a confident slut this miss rawlins thought i so did mrs moore i told you so whispering said i turning to the women shaking my head with a face of great concern and pity and then to my charmer my dear creature how you rave you will not easily recover from the effects of this violence have patience my love be pacified and we will coolly talk this matter over for you expose yourself as well as me these ladies will certainly think you have fallen among robbers, and that I am the chief of them. So you are, so you are, stamping, her face still covered, she thought of Wednesday night, no doubt, and sighing as if her heart were breaking, she put her hand to her forehead. I shall be quite distracted. I will not, my dearest love, uncover your face. You shall not look upon me, since I am so odious to you, but this is a violence I never thought you capable of, and I would have pressed her hand as I held it with my lips, but she drew it from me with indignation. "'Unhand me, sir,' said she. "'I will not be touched by you. "'Leave me to my fate. "'What right, what title have you to persecute me thus?' "'What right, what title, my dear? "'But this is not a time. "'I have a letter from Captain Tomlinson. "'Here it is,' offering it to her. "'I will receive nothing from your hands. "'Tell me not of Captain Tomlinson. "'Tell me not of anybody. "'You have no right to invade me thus. "'Once more leave me to my fate. "'Have you not made me miserable enough?' I touched a delicate string, on purpose to set her in such a passion before the women, as might confirm the intimation I had given of a frenzical disorder. What a turn is here! Lately so happy, nothing wanting but a reconciliation between you and your friends. That reconciliation, in such a happy train, shall so slight, so accidental an occasion be suffered to overturn all our happiness. She started up with a trembling impatience, her apron falling from her indignant face. Now, said she, that thou darest to call the occasion slight and accidental, and that I am happily out of thy vile hands, and out of a house I have reason to believe as vile, traitor and wretch as thou art, I will venture to cast an eye upon thee, and oh that it were in my power, in mercy to my sex, to look thee first into shame and remorse, and then into death. This violent tragedy speech, and the high manner in which she uttered it, had its desired effect. I looked upon the women, and upon her by turns, with a pitying eye, and they shook their wise heads, and besought me to retire, and her to lie down to compose herself. This hurricane, like other hurricanes, was presently allayed by a shower. She threw herself once more into her arm-chair, and begged pardon of the women for her passionate excess, but not of me. 
yet i was in hopes that when compliments were stirring i should have come in for a share indeed lady said i with assurance enough thou'lt say this violence is not natural to my beloved's temper misapprehension misapprehension wretch and want i excuses from thee by what a scorn was every lovely feature agitated then turning her face from me i have not patience o thou guileful betrayer to look upon thee begone begone with a face so unblushing how darest thou appear in my presence i thought then that the character of a husband obliged me to be angry you may one day madam repent this treatment by my soul you may you know i have not deserved it of you you know i have not do i know you have not wretch do i know you do madam and never did man of my figure and consideration i thought it was proper to throw that in meet with such treatment she lifted up her hands indignation kept her silent but all is of a piece with the charge you bring against me of despoiling you of all succour and help of making you poor and low and with other unprecedented language i will only say before these two gentlewomen that since it must be so and since your former esteem for me is turned into so riveted an aversion i will soon very soon make you entirely easy i will be gone i will leave you to your own fate as you call it and may that be happy only that i may not appear to be a spoiler a robber indeed let me know whither i shall send your apparel and everything that belongs to you and i will send it send it to this place and assure me that you will never molest me more never more come near me and that is all i ask of you i will do so madam said i with a dejected air but did i ever think i should be so indifferent to you however you must permit me to insist on your reading this letter and on your seeing captain tomlinson and hearing what he has to say from your uncle he will be here by and by don't trifle with me said she in an imperious tone do as you offer i will not receive any letter from your hands if i see captain tomlinson it shall be on his own account not on yours you tell me you will send me my apparel if you would have me believe anything you say let this be the test of your sincerity leave me now and send my things the women started they did nothing but stare and appeared to be more and more at a loss what to make of the matter between us i pretended to be going from her in a pet but when i had got to the door i turned back and as if i had recollected myself one word more my dearest creature charming even in your anger oh my fond soul said i turning half round and pulling out my handkerchief i believe jack my eyes did glisten a little i have no doubt but they did the women pitied me honest souls they showed they had each of them a handkerchief as well as i so hast thou not observed to give a familiar illustration every man in a company of a dozen or more obligingly pull out his watch when some one has asked what's o'clock as each man of a like number if one talks of his beard will fall to stroking his chin with his four fingers and thumb one word only madam repeated i as soon as my voice had recovered its tone i have represented to captain tomlinson in the most favourable light the cause of our present misunderstanding you know what your uncle insists upon and with which you have acquiesced the letter in my hand and again i offered it to her will acquaint you with what you have to apprehend from your brother's active malice she was going to speak in a high accent putting the letter from her with an open palm nay hear me out madam the captain you know has reported our marriage to two different persons it is come to your brother's ears my own relations have also heard of it letters were brought me from town this morning from lady betty lawrence and miss montague here they are i pulled them out of my pocket and offered them to her with that of the captain but she held back her still open palm that she might not receive them reflect madam i beseech you reflect upon the fatal consequences with which this your high resentment may be attended ever since i knew you said she i have been in a wilderness of doubt and error i bless god that i am out of your hands i will transact for myself what relates to myself i dismiss all your solicitude for me 
Am I not my own mistress? Have you any title? The women stared. The devil stare, ye thought I. Can you do nothing but stare? It was high time to stop her here. I raised my voice to drown hers. You used, my dearest creature, to have a tender and apprehensive heart. You never had so much reason for such a one as now. Let me judge for myself upon what I shall see, not upon what I shall hear. Do you think I shall ever? I dreaded her going on. I must be heard, madam, raising my voice still higher. You must let me read one paragraph or two out of this letter to you, if you will not read it yourself. Begone from me, man! Begone from me with thy letters! What pretence hast thou for tormenting me thus? What right? What title? Dearest creature, what questions you ask! Questions that you can as well answer yourself. I can, I will, and thus I answer them. Still louder I raised my voice. She was overborne. Sweet soul, it would be hard, thought I, and yet I was very angry with her, if such a spirit as thine cannot be brought to yield to such a one as mine. I lowered my voice on her silence. All gentle, all entreative, my accent. My head bowed, one hand held out, the other on my honest heart. For heaven's sake, my dearest creature, resolve to see Captain Tomlinson with temper. He would have come along with me, but I was willing to try to soften your mind first on this fatal misapprehension, and this for the same of your own wishes. For what is it otherwise to me, whether your friends are or are not reconciled to us? Do I want any favour from them? For your own mind's sake, therefore, frustrate not Captain Tomlinson's negotiation. That worthy gentleman will be here in the afternoon. Lady Betty will be in town with my cousin Montague in a day or two. They will be your visitors. I beseech you, do not carry this misunderstanding so far, as that Lord M and Lady Betty and Lady Sarah may know it. How considerable this made me look to the women. Lady Betty will not let you rest till you consent to accompany her to her own seat, and to that lady may you safely entrust your cause. Again, upon pausing a moment, she was going to break out. I like not the turn of her countenance, nor the tone of her voice. And thinkest thou, base wretch, were the words she did utter. I again raised my voice and drowned hers. Base wretch, madam, you know that I have not deserved the violent names you have called me, words so opprobrious from a mind so gentle. But this treatment is from you, madam, from you, whom I love more than my own soul. By that soul I swear that I do. The women looked upon each other, they seemed pleased with my ardour. Women, whether wives, maids, or widows, love ardours. Even Miss Howe, thou knowest, speaks up for ardours. Nevertheless, I must say that you have carried matters too far for the occasion. I see you hate me. She was just going to speak. If we are to separate forever, in a strong and solemn voice, proceeded I, this island shall not long be troubled with me. Meantime, only be pleased to give these letters a perusal, and consider what is to be said to your uncle's friend, and what he is to say to your uncle. Anything will I come into, renounce me, if you will, that shall make for your peace, and for the reconciliation your heart was so lately set upon. But I humbly conceive that it is necessary that you should come into better temper with me, were it but to give a favourable appearance to what has passed, and wait to any future application to your friends, in whatever way you shall think proper to make it. I then put the letters into her lap, and retired into the next apartment with a low bow, and a very solemn air. I was soon followed by the two women. Mrs. Moore withdrew to give the fair perverse time to read them, Miss Rawlins for the same reason, and because she was sent for home. The widow besought her speedy return. I joined in the same request, and she was ready enough to promise to oblige us. I excused myself to Mrs. Moore for the disguise I had appeared in at first, and for the story I had invented. I told her that I held myself obliged to satisfy her for the whole floor we were upon, and for an upper room for my servant, and that for a month certain. She made many scruples, and begged she might not be urged on this head, till she had consulted Miss Rawlins. I consented, but told her that she had taken my earnest, and I hoped there was no room for dispute. 
just then miss rawlins returned with an air of eager curiosity and having been told what had passed between mrs moore and me she gave herself airs of office immediately which i humoured plainly perceiving that if i had her with me i had the other she wished if there were time for it and if it were not quite impertinent in her to desire it that i would give mrs moore and her a brief history of an affair which as she said bore the face of novelty mystery and surprise for sometimes it looked to her as if we were married at other times that point appeared doubtful and yet the lady did not absolutely deny it but upon the whole thought herself highly injured i said that ours was a very particular case that were i to acquaint them with it some part of it would hardly appear credible but however as they seem hardly to be persons of discretion i would give them a brief account of the whole and this in so plain and sincere a manner that it should clear up to their satisfaction everything that had passed or might hereafter pass between us they sat down by me and threw every feature of their faces into attention i was resolved to go as near the truth as possible lest anything should drop from my spouse to impeach my veracity and yet keep in view what passed at the flask it is necessary although thou knowest my whole story and a good deal of my views that thou shouldst be apprised of the substance of what i told them i gave them in as concise a manner as i was able this history of our families fortunes alliances antipathies her brothers and mine particularly i averred the truth of our private marriage the captain's letter which i will enclose will give thee my reasons for that and besides the women might have proposed a parson to me by way of compromise i told them the condition my spouse had made me swear to and to which she held me in order i said to induce me the sooner to be reconciled to her relations i own that this restraint made me sometimes ready to fly out and mrs moore was so good as to declare that she did not much wonder at it thou art a very good sort of woman mrs moore thought i as miss howe has actually detected our mother and might possibly find some way still to acquaint her friend with her discoveries i thought it proper to prepossess them in favour of mrs sinclair and her two nieces i said they were gentlewomen born that they had not bad hearts that indeed my spouse did not love them they having once taken the liberty to blame her for her over-niceness with regard to me people i said even good people who knew themselves to be guilty of a fault they had no inclination to mend were too often least patient when told of it as they could less bear than others to be thought indifferently of too often the case they own mrs sinclair's house was a very handsome house and fit to receive the first quality true enough jack mrs sinclair was a woman very easy in her circumstances a widow gentlewoman as you mrs moore are lets lodgings as you mrs moore do once had better prospects as you mrs moore may have had the relict of colonel sinclair you mrs moore might know colonel sinclair he had lodgings at hampstead she had heard of the name oh he was related to the best families in scotland and his widow is not to be reflected upon because she lets lodgings you know mrs moore you know miss rawlins very true and very true and they must needs say it did not look quite so pretty in such a lady as my spouse to be so censorious a foundation here thought i to procure these women's help to get back the fugitive or their connivance at least at my doing so as well as for anticipating any future information from miss howe i gave them a character of that virago and intimated that for a head to contrive mischief and a heart to execute it she had hardly her equal in her sex to this miss howe it was mrs moore said she supposed that my spouse was so desirous to dispatch a man and horse by day dawn with a letter she wrote before she went to bed last night proposing to stay no longer than till she had received an answer to it the very same said i i knew she would have immediate recourse to her i should have been but too happy could i have prevented such a letter from passing or so to have it managed as to have it given into mrs howe's hands instead of her daughter's women who had lived some time in the world knew better than to encourage such skittish pranks in young wives 
let me just stop to tell thee while it is in my head that i have since given will his cue to find out where the man lives who is gone with the fair fugitive's letter and if possible to see him on his return before he sees her i told the women i despaired that it would ever be better with us while miss howe had so strange an ascendancy over my spouse and remained herself unmarried and until the reconciliation with her friends could be effected or a still happier event as i should think it who am the last male of my family and which my foolish vow and her rigour had hitherto here i stopped and looked modest turning my diamond ring round my finger while goody moore looked mighty significant calling it a very particular case and the maiden fanned away and primmed and pursed to show that what i had said needed no further explanation i told them the occasion of our present difference i avowed the reality of the fire but owned that i would have made no scruple of breaking the unnatural oath she had bound me in having a husband's right on my side when she was so accidentally frighted into my arms and i blamed myself excessively that i did not since she thought fit to carry her resentment so high and had the injustice to suppose the fire to be a contrivance of mine nay for that matter mrs moore said as we were married and madam was so odd every gentleman would not and stop there mrs moore to suppose i should have recourse to such a poor contrivance said i when i saw the dear creature every hour was not this a bold put jack a most extraordinary case truly cried the maiden fanning yet coming in with her well buts and her sifting pray sirs and her restraining enough sirs flying from the question to the question her seat now and then uneasy for fear my want of delicacy should hurt her abundant modesty and yet it was difficult to satisfy her superabundant curiosity my beloved's jealousy and jealousy of itself to female minds accounts for a thousand unaccountablenesses and the imputation of her half-frenzy brought upon her by her father's wicked curse and by the previous persecution she had undergone from all her family were what i dwelt upon in order to provide against what might happen in short i owned against myself most of the offences which i did not doubt but she would charge me with in their hearing and as every cause has a black and white side i gave the worst parts of our story the gentlest turn and when i had done acquainted them with some of the contents of that letter of captain tomlinson which i left with the lady i concluded with james harlowe and of captain singleton or of any sailor-looking men this thou wilt see from the letter itself was necessary to be done here therefore thou mayest read it and a charming letter to my purpose wilt thou find it to be if thou givest the least attention to its contents to robert lovelace esq wednesday june seventh dear sir although i am obliged to be in town to-morrow or next day at farthest yet i would not dispense with writing to you by one of my servants whom i send up before upon a particular occasion in order to advertise you that it is probable you will hear from some of your own relations on your supposed nuptials one of the persons mr lilburn by name to whom i hinted my belief of your marriage happens to be acquainted with mr spurrier lady betty lawrence's steward and not being under any restriction mentioned it to mr spurrier and he to lady betty as a thing certain and this though i have not the honour to be personally known to her ladyship brought on an inquiry from her ladyship to me by her gentleman who coming to me in company with mr lilburn i had no way but to confirm the report and i understand that lady betty takes it amiss that she was not acquainted with so desirable a piece of news from yourself what is between hooks thou mayest suppose jack i sunk upon the women in the account i gave them of the contents of this letter her ladyship it seems has business that calls her to town and you will possibly choose to put her right if you do it will i presume be in confidence that nothing may transpire from your own family to contradict what i have given out i have ever been of opinion that truth ought to be strictly adhered to on all occasions and i am concerned that i have though with so good a view departed from my old maxim but my dear friend mr john harlow would have it so yet i never knew a departure of this kind a single departure but to make the best of it now allow me sir once more to beg the lady as soon as possible to authenticate the report given out 
when both you and the lady join in the acknowledgment of your marriage it will be impertinent in any one to be inquisitive as to the day or week and if as privately celebrated as you intend while the gentlewomen with whom you lodge are properly instructed as you say they are and who shall actually believe you were married long ago who shall be able to give a contradiction to my report and yet it is very probable that minute inquiries will be made and this is what renders precaution necessary for mr james harlowe will not believe that you are married and is sure he says that you both lived together when mr hickman's application was made to mr john harlowe and if you lived together any time unmarried he infers from your character mr lovelace that it is not probable that you would ever marry and he leaves it to his two uncles to decide if you even should be married whether there be not room to believe that his sister was first dishonoured and if so to judge of the title she will have to their favour or to the forgiveness of any of her family i believe sir this part of my letter had best be kept from the lady young mr harlowe is resolved to find this out and to come at his sister's speech likewise and for that purpose sets out to-morrow as i am well informed with a large attendance armed and mr solmes is to be of the party and what makes him the more earnest to find it out is this mr john harlowe has told the whole family that he will alter and new settle his will mr antony harlowe is resolved to do the same by his for it seems he has now given over all thoughts of changing his condition having lately been disappointed in a view he had of that sort with mrs howe these two brothers generally act in concert and mr james harlowe dreads and let me tell you that he has reason for it on my mr harlowe's account that his younger sister will be at last more benefited than he wishes for by the alteration intended he has already been endeavouring to sound his uncle harlowe on this subject and wanted to know whether any new application had been made to him on his sister's part mr harlowe avoided a direct answer and expressed his wishes for a general reconciliation and his hopes that his niece were married this offended the furious young man and he reminded his uncle of engagements they had all entered into at his sister's going away not to be reconciled but by general consent mr john harlowe complains to me often of the uncontrollableness of his nephew and says that now that the young man has not anybody of whose superior sense he stands in awe he observes not decency in his behaviour to any of them and this makes my mr harlowe still more desirous than ever of bringing his younger niece into favour again i will not say all i might of this young man's extraordinary rapaciousness but one would think that these grasping men expect to live for ever i took the liberty but within these two hours to propose to set on foot and offered my cover to a correspondence between my friend and his daughter-niece as she still sometimes fondly calls her she was mistress of so much prudence i said that i was sure she could better direct everything to its desirable end than anybody else could but he said he did not think himself entirely at liberty to take such a step at present and that it was best that he should have it in his power to say occasionally that he had not any correspondence with her or letter from her you will see sir from all this the necessity of keeping our treaty an absolute secret and if the lady has mentioned it to her worthy friend miss howe i hope it is in confidence and now sir a few lines in answer to yours of monday last mr harlowe was very well pleased with your readiness to come into his proposal but as to what you both desire that he will be present at the ceremony he said that his nephew watched all his steps so narrowly that he thought it was not practicable if he were inclinable to oblige you but that he consented with all his heart that i should be the person whom he had stipulated should be privately present at the ceremony on his part however i think i have an expedient for this if your lady continues to be very desirous of her uncle's presence except he should be more determined than his answer to me seemed to import of which i shall acquaint you and perhaps of what he says to it when i have the pleasure to see you in town but indeed i think you have no time to lose mr harlowe is impatient to hear that you are actually one and i hope i may carry him down word when i leave you next that i saw the ceremony performed if any obstacle arises from the lady from you it cannot i shall be tempted to think a little hardly of her punctilio mr harlowe hopes sir that you will rather take pains to avoid than to meet this violent young man he has the better opinion of you let me tell you sir from the account i gave him of your moderation and politeness neither of which are qualities with his nephew but we have all of us something to amend 
you cannot imagine how dearly my friend still loves this excellent niece of his i will give you an instance of it which affected me a good deal if once more said he the last time but one we were together i can but see this sweet child gracing the upper end of my table as mistress of my house in the allotted month all the rest of my family present but as her guests for so i formerly would have it and had her mother's consent for it there he stopped for he was forced to turn his reverend face from me tears ran down his cheeks fain would he have hid them but he could not yet yet said he how how poor gentleman he perfectly sobbed how shall i be able to bear the first meeting i bless god i am no hard-hearted man mr lovelace my eyes showed to my worthy friend that he had no reason to be ashamed of his humanity before me i will put an end to this long epistle be pleased to make my compliments acceptable to the most excellent of women as well as believe me to be dear sir your faithful friend and humble servant antony tomlinson during the conversation between me and the women i had planted myself at the furthest end of the apartment we were in over against the door which was open and opposite to the lady's chamber door which was shut i spoke so low that it was impossible for her at that distance to hear what we said and in this situation i could see if her door was opened i told the women that what i had mentioned to my spouse of lady betty's coming to town with her niece montague and of their intention to visit my beloved whom they had never seen nor she them was real and that i expected news of their arrival every hour i then showed them copies of the other two letters which i had left with her the one from lady betty the other from my cousin montague and here thou mayest read them if thou wilt eternally reproaching eternally upbraiding me are my impertinent relations but they are fond of occasions to find fault with me their love their love jack and their dependence on my known good humour are their inducements to robert lovelace esq wednesday morning june seventh dear nephew i understand that at length all our wishes are answered in your happy marriage but i think we might as well have heard of it directly from you as from the roundabout way by which we have been made acquainted with it methinks sir the power and the will we have to oblige you should not expose us the more to your slights and negligence my brother had set his heart upon giving to you the wife we have all so long wished you to have but if you were actually married at the time you made him that request supposing perhaps that his gout would not let him attend you it is but like you i gave mrs moore and miss rawlins room to think this reproach just jack if your lady had her reasons to wish it to be private while the differences between her family and self continue you might nevertheless have communicated it to us with that restriction and we should have forborne the public manifestations of our joy upon an event we have so long desired the distant way we have come to know it is by my steward who is acquainted with a friend of captain tomlinson to whom that gentleman revealed it and he it seems had it from yourself and lady with such circumstances as leave it not to be doubted i am indeed very much disobliged with you so is lady sarah but i have a very speedy opportunity to tell you so in person being obliged to go to town to my old chancery affair my cousin leeson who is it seems removed to albemarle street has notice of it i shall be at her house where i bespeak your attendance of sunday night i have written to my cousin charlotte for either her or her sister to meet me at reading and accompany me to town i shall stay but a few days my business being matter of form only on my return i shall pop upon lord m at m hall to see in what way his last fit has left him meantime having told you my mind on your negligence i cannot help congratulating you both on the occasion your fair lady particularly upon her entrance into a family which is prepared to admire and love her my principal intention of writing to you dispensing with the necessary punctilio is that you may acquaint my dear new niece that i will not be denied the honour of her company down with me into oxfordshire i understand that your proposed house and equipages cannot be soon ready she shall be with me till they are i insist upon it this shall make all up my house shall be her own my servants and equipages hers lady sarah who has not been out of her own house for months will oblige me with her company for a week 
in honour of a niece so dearly beloved as i am sure she will be of us all being but in lodgings in town neither you nor your lady can require much preparation some time on monday i hope to attend the dear young lady to make her my compliments and to receive her apology for your negligence which and her going down with me as i said before shall be full satisfaction meantime god bless her for her courage tell her i say so and bless you both in each other and that will be happiness to us all particularly to your truly affectionate aunt elizabeth lawrence to robert lovelace esq dear cousin at last as we understand there is some hope of you now does my good lord run over his bead-roll of proverbs of black oxen wild oats long lanes and so forth now cousin say i is your time come and you will be no longer i hope an infidel either to the power or excellence of the sex you have pretended hitherto so much as undervalue nor a ridicule or scoffer at an institution which all sober people reverence and all rakes soon or later are brought to reverence or to wish they had i want to see how you become your silken fetters whether the charming yoke sits light upon your shoulders if with such a sweet yoke fellow it does not my lord and my sister as well as i think that you will deserve a closer tie about your neck his lordship is very much displeased that you have not written him word of the day the hour the manner and everything but i ask him how he can already expect any mark of deference or politeness from you he must stay i tell him till that sign of reformation among others appear from the influence and example of your lady but that if ever you will be good for anything it will be quickly seen and oh cousin what a vast vast journey have you to take from the dreary land of libertinism through the bright province of reformation into the serene kingdom of happiness you had need to lose no time you have many a weary step to tread before you can overtake those travellers who set out for it from a less remote quarter but you have a charming pole-star to guide you that's your advantage i wish you joy of it and as i have never yet expected any highly complacent thing from you i make no scruple to begin first but it is purely i must tell you in respect to my new cousin whose accession into our family we most heartily congratulate and rejoice in i have a letter from lady betty she commands either my attendants or my sisters to my cousin leeson's she puts lord m in hopes that she shall certainly bring down with her our lovely new relation for she says she will not be denied his lordship is the willinger to let me be the person as i am in a manner wild to see her my sister having two years ago had that honour at sir robert biddle's so get ready to accompany us in our return except your lady had objections strong enough to satisfy us all lady sarah longs to see her and says this accession to the family will supply to it the loss of her beloved daughter i shall soon i hope pay my compliments to the dear lady in person so have nothing to add but that i am your old mad playfellow and cousin charlotte montague the women having read the copies of these two letters i thought that i might then threaten and swagger but very little heart have i said i to encourage such a visit from lady betty and miss montague to my spouse for after all i am tired out with her strange ways she is not what she was and as i told her in your hearing ladies i will leave this plaguy island though the place of my birth and though the stake i have in it is very considerable and go and reside in france or italy and never think of myself as a married man nor live like one oh dear said one that would be a sad thing said the other nay madam turning to mrs moore indeed madam to miss rawlins i am quite desperate i can no longer bear such usage i have had the good fortune to be favoured by the smiles of very fine ladies though i say it and i looked very modest both abroad and at home thou knowest this to be true jack with regard to my spouse here i have but one hope left for as to the reconciliation with her friends i left i scorn them all too much to value that but for her sake and that was that if it pleased god to bless us with children she might entirely recover her usual serenity and we might then be happy but the reconciliation her heart was so much set upon is now as i hinted before entirely hopeless made so by this rash step of hers and by the rash temper she is in since as you will believe her brother and sister when they come to know it 
will make a fine handle of it against us both affecting as they do at present to disbelieve our marriage and the dear creature herself too ready to countenance such a disbelief as nothing more than the ceremony as nothing more hem as nothing more than the ceremony here as thou wilt perceive i was bashful for miss rawlins by her preparatory primness put me in mind that it was proper to be so i turned half round then facing the fan-player and the matron you yourselves ladies knew not what to believe till now that i have told you our story and i do assure you that i shall not give myself the same trouble to convince people i hate people from whom i neither expect nor desire any favour and who are determined not to be convinced and what pray must be the issue when her uncle's friend comes although he seems to be a truly worthy man it is not natural for him to say to what purpose mr lovelace should i endeavour to bring about a reconciliation between mrs lovelace and her friends by means of her elder uncle when a good understanding is wanting between yourselves a fair inference mrs moore a fair inference miss rawlins and here is the unhappiness till she is reconciled to them this cursed oath in her notion is binding the women seem moved for i spoke with great earnestness though low and besides they love to have their sex and its favours appear of importance to us they shook their deep heads at each other and looked sorrowful and this moved my tender heart too tis an unheard-of case ladies had she not preferred me to all mankind there i stopped and that resumed i feeling for my handkerchief is what staggered captain tomlinson when he heard of a flight who the last time he saw us together saw the most affectionate couple on earth the most affectionate couple on earth in the accent grievous repeated i out then i pulled my handkerchief and putting it to my eyes arose and walked to the window it makes me weaker than a woman did i not love her as never man loved his wife i have no doubt but i do jack there again i stopped and resuming charming creature as you see she is i wish i had never beheld her face excuse me ladies traversing the room and having rubbed my eyes till i supposed them red i turned to the women and pulling out my letter-case i will show you one letter here it is read it miss rawlins if you please it will confirm to you how much all my family are prepared to admire her i am freely treated in it so i am in the two others but after what i have told you nothing need be a secret to you too she took it with an air of eager curiosity and looked at the seal ostentatiously coroneted and at the superscription reading out to robert lovelace esq i madam i miss that's my name giving myself an air though i had told it to them before i am not ashamed of it my wife's maiden name unmarried name i should rather say fool that i am and i rubbed my cheek for vexation fool enough in conscience jack was harlowe clarissa harlowe you heard me call her my clarissa i did but thought it to be a feigned or love name said miss rawlins i wonder what is miss rawlins love name jack most of the fair romances have in their early womanhood chosen love names no parson ever gave more real names than i have given fictitious ones and to very good purpose many a sweet dear has answered me a letter for the sake of owning a name which her godmother never gave her no it was her real name i said i bid her read out the whole letter if the spelling be not exact miss rawlins said i you will excuse it the writer is a lord but perhaps i may not show it to my spouse for if those i have left with her have no effect upon her neither will this and i shall not care to expose my lord m to her scorn indeed i begin to be quite careless of consequences miss rawlins who could not but be pleased with this mark of my confidence looked as if she pitied me and here thou mayest read the letter number three to robert lovelace esq montague hall wednesday june seventh cousin lovelace i think you might have found time to let us know of your nuptials being actually solemnized i might have expected this piece of civility from you but perhaps the ceremony was performed at the very time that you asked me to be your lady's father but i should be angry if i proceed in my guesses and little said is soon amended but i can tell you that lady betty lawrence whatever lady sarah does will not so soon forgive you as i have done women resent slights longer than men you that know so much of the sex i speak it not however to your praise might have known that 
but never was you before acquainted with a lady of such an amiable character. I hope there will be but one soul between you. I have before now said that I will disinherit you, and settle all I can upon her, if you prove not a good husband to her. May this marriage be crowned with a great many fine boys, I desire no girls, to build up again a family so ancient. The first boy shall take my surname by act of Parliament. That is my will. Lady Betty and niece Charlotte will be in town about business before you know where you are. They long to pay their compliments to your fair bride. I suppose you will hardly be at the lawn when they get to town, because Green informs me you have sent no orders there for your lady's accommodation. Pritchard has all things in readiness for signing. I will take no advantage of your slights. Indeed, I am too much used to them. More praise to my patience than to your complaisance, however. One reason for Lady Betty's going up, as I may tell you under the rose, is to buy some suitable presents for Lady Sarah and all of us to make on this agreeable occasion. We would have blazed it away could we have had timely notice, and thought it would have been agreeable to all round. The like occasions don't happen every day. My most affectionate compliments and congratulations to my new niece conclude me, for the present in violent pain, that with all your heroicalness would make you mad, your truly affectionate uncle, M. This letter clenched the nail. Not but that Miss Rawlins said she saw I had been a wild gentleman, and truly she thought so the moment she beheld me. They began to intercede for my spouse, so nicely had I turned the tables, and that I would not go abroad and disappoint a reconciliation so much wished for on one side, and such desirable prospects on the other, in my own family. Who knows, thought I to myself, but more may come of this plot, than I had even promised myself. What a happy man shall I be, if these women can be brought to join to carry my marriage into consummation? Ladies, you are exceedingly good to us both. I should have some hopes if my unhappily nice spouse could be brought to dispense with the unnatural oath she has laid me under. You see what my case is. Do you think I may not insist upon her absolving me from this abominable oath? Will you be so good as to give your advice, that one apartment may serve for a man and his wife at the hour of retirement? Modestly put, Belford. And let me here observe that few rakes would find a language so decent as to engage modest women to talk with him in upon such subjects. They both simpered and looked upon one another. These subjects always make women simper, at least. No need but of the most delicate hints to them. A man who is gross in a woman's company ought to be knocked down with a club, for like so many musical instruments, touch but a single wire, and the dear souls are sensible all over. To be sure, Miss Rawlins learnedly said, playing with her fan, Acacius would give it that the matrimonial vow ought to supersede any other obligation. Mrs. Moore, for her part, was of opinion, that if the lady owned herself to be a wife, she ought to behave like one. Whatever be my luck, thought I, with this all-eyed fair one, any other woman in the world, from fifteen to five-and-twenty, would be mine upon my own terms before the morning. And now that I may be at hand to take all advantages, I will endeavour, said I to myself, to make sure of good quarters. I am your lodger, Mrs. Moore, in virtue of the earnest I have given you for these apartments, and for any one you can spare above for my servants, indeed for all you have to spare, for who knows what my spouse's brother may attempt. I will pay you to your own demand, and that for a month or two certain, board included, as I shall or shall not be your hindrance. Take that as a pledge, or in part of payment, offering her a thirty-pound bank-note. She declined taking it, desiring she might consult the lady first, adding that she doubted not my honour, and that she would not let her apartments to any other person, whom she knew not something of, while I and the lady were here. The lady, the lady, from both women's mouths continually, which still implied a doubt in their hearts, and not your spouse and your lady, sir. I never met with such women, thought I, so thoroughly convinced but this moment, yet already doubting. I am afraid I have a couple of sceptics to deal with. I knew no reason, I said, for my wife to object to my lodging in the same house with her here, any more than in town at Mrs. Sinclair's. But were she to make such objection, I would not quit possession, since it was not unlikely that the same freakish disorder which brought her to Hampstead might carry her absolutely out of my knowledge. 
They both seemed embarrassed, and looked upon one another, yet with such an air as if they thought there was reason in what I said, and I declared myself her boarder as well as lodger, and dinner-time approaching, was not denied to be the former. End of letter 24